and welcome back to Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is the show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers, and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. Today, I am delighted to welcome back a dear friend of Future of Film to the show, Diana Williams. Diana is the CEO and co-founder of Kinetic Energy Entertainment, a multidisciplinary company that partners with creators at the intersection of story and technology to develop and produce story-based IP. Diana is also an award-winning producer, including for the acclaimed feature film Our Song, which earned her a nomination for an Independent Spirit Award in the producer category. In addition, she has held various positions in the entertainment industry. She was the creative development and franchise producer at Lucasfilm within the story group, the team responsible for developing and maintaining narrative cohesion and connectivity throughout the Star Wars universe. Yeah, it's basically my dream job. Also at Lucasfilm, she helped launch ILM XLab, the immersive entertainment and mixed reality lab, which projects uh, produced include Vader Immortal, which is uh, so much fun, Star Wars Secrets of the Empire, and Alejandro Gonzalez Inruto's Academy Award-winning VR experience, Carne E Arena. Diana holds a number of board positions, including as the chair of the Interactive Board of Jurors for Digital and Immersive Storytelling for the Peabody Award. She is also on the Strategic Planning Committee of the National Academy of Sciences Science and Entertainment Exchange, the Advisory Committee for the Royal Shakespeare Company Digital Development Strategy, and she's on our advisory board as well as she's been a huge supporter of the work of Future of Film, is a trusted advisor to us and the incubator, and is someone who I always personally look to when it comes to thinking about, well, the future of screen storytelling, obviously, but in specifically how creators and storytellers can not just adapt, but thrive in this new entertainment ecosystem. As always, I had so much fun talking with Diana, trying to keep up with Diana and learning about kinetic energy entertainment and in particular, the kinds of projects and strategies she is backing there. She's championing and she sees the potential to cut through in this entertainment landscape. If you're enjoying the show, just want to find out more about Future of Film, head on over to the home of Future of Film, that's futureoffilm.live. Here you can dive into all five seasons of the podcast and explore some of our other FOF resources like the Summit and Incubator. And if you're not already, why not sign up for our monthly newsletter? We've recently revamped it to include not just the latest from FOF, but new opportunities in the space and our pick of the latest articles on the future of screen storytelling. So that's all of the Future of Film resources and news available now at futureoffilm.live. And I started today's show by asking Diana about the genesis of kinetic energy entertainment.
Thanks. Yeah, it's been um, kind of a crazy time. Uh, you know, it's always fun to come up with the idea of a company and to launch it during a pandemic. Um, but I think the one, you know, pandemic was was devastating and it just showed, you know, where there were cracks in uh, society, but also in the infrastructure of the studio system, you know, base, basically more here in the United States. And I just kind of looked at what my interests were. Um, I've always had an interest in franchise. I've also have always spoken a lot about ownership and um, the fact that when you sign, when you sell your script into a studio, studio or streamer, uh, broadcast network cable, they take all the rights. So all platform rights, um, film, TV, audio, video game, merchandise, everything. And in some occasions, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Disney can Disney has set up to be able to use all those rights. Other places, not so much. And so it was looking at just, and I say that without throwing any shade towards them, they are taking on the risk to make something is easily nine figures. And that's a lot of risk. And all these companies are public companies. And so blah, 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 finance reasons. Um, but that also leaves a creator walking around uh, Target wondering why they're not getting any portion of the t-shirts that are selling like hotcakes uh, during the Christmas season. Um, it's not to say that all creators should have those merchandise rights, but, you know, I just want to be able to have the discussion. So I just thought about what uh, my background was, having worked on three of the biggest IP in the world, um, from also doing independent film, from coming from finance, um, all of that, and just thought about the structure of what a company could do in this um, climate, along with the rise of streaming that also happened in 2020. So every every distributor has their own streamer now, except for Sony. And everyone's looked at the streaming as being whatever content play, yada, yada. But what it means is that every studio with their own streamer is now created a walled garden. I prefer to call it a walled fortress, but it's a walled garden. So back in the day, you didn't want to you didn't want to really do a superhero movie or television show because that meant that at some point you were up against Marvel and Marvel is the behemoth creatively and also just in terms of market. Um, they're firing on all cylinders. And, but now that everyone's behind a paywall, you need to have your own Marvel. You need your own Harry Potter. You need your own Euphoria. You need, you know, you need your own Fast and Furious because those are going to go behind a, a paywall. So therefore, it's not quite competition. You're competing now really for somebody to join your service. So, but that's IP. That's all an IP play. And a lot of these studios and producers, they're, they're not set up to create IP. IP takes you know, generally four years in which to find its story, uh, develop out the world, their characters, events, people, places, things, events. And um, it also means audience. And, and four years is a lot to put on your books because that's money going out with very little money coming in. And that's hard for any company. And again, I'm talking a lot of finance terms to kind of understand that business does affect the way we operate from the creative side. Um, so in looking at the fact that it does take minimum four years, you know, sometimes it happens beforehand, um, for an IP to really, to, for an idea to become an IP and for people to give it a lot of money and therefore it becomes sustainable. Um, I decided that I wanted Kinetic to be in that IP business because there were more buyers for IP between studio streamers, cable, 
broadcast. Um, other finance companies like Participant, Churn and Company, um, and then also other producers. So that gave me three different buyers for IP that I could create because I could take the time. I could take the you know up to four years to to build an IP. And so that's really what Connect does is that we're looking at um, ideas that we can put business around um, to help to insulate the creative. And that's all of franchises. And I think I talked about this before when, you, when we first um, had our, our conversation that um, franchise is the hard coding that goes around the GUI center that is creative. The hard coding allows that creative table to grow and develop and become what it wants to become via different stories. And then that same business provides the ways for an audience to reach it. So the business of podcasts, the business of video games, the, you know, so again, that's all the hard coding, you know, the merchandise, everything is, that's the hard coding that's around the creative and done well, all of those different businesses still speak to the creative. And so it all feels like a, a really vibrant and um, authentic ecosystem that's working together. That's a great franchise. And we can point to the ones that are great. I'm not going to name check things. We can also point to the ones that are not working because the business does not speak to the creative. The creative doesn't understand what it is. So that's the business I want to be in. And that also opens up the discussion of ownership. So we're looking at, we're, we're first of all, it's story. Story is our basis for everything. I'm not quite creator in terms of the person. So I don't jump because it's, you know, XYZ celeb who wants to do something. What is the, What is that story? Because I'm looking at the, the width and the depth of the story. And do I think I'm value add, first of all, to it? Second of all, do I think it has legs? Am I always going to be excited to talk about that story year one as I am in year 10? God willing that it, you know, becomes a success that it's in year 10. Um, so what I'm also trying to get creators to think about for those that want to, not every creator wants to do this, but for those that want to, thinking about what they are putting into the world, not as a project, not as just here's this film script, here's this TV script, here's this teleplay. It's a business because in success, many businesses come out of it. That's what a franchise is. So if you're thinking about it as a business, if you treat it as such, then it, it gives you just a little bit more leg to stand on when you are negotiating with a studio. If you have built that business, if you can show you've done publishing here, you've built the audience, audience here, you've done this podcast, you've done this and that, then when it comes time to make the film, can't do you have more of a ground to stand on to say to the studio, you shouldn't have the audio rights, you shouldn't have the publishing rights, or let's talk about how we can split those rights, or can I get more of a share of those rights if I do sell them to you? It's just, I want to be able to open up the conversation more so than has been in the past for creators. Hmm. Wow, yeah. That's a lot, that's a lot, no, sorry. It's, it's <laughs> It's great though. It's very, very exciting. Um, you know, it makes me makes me think back to the the classic. Oh yes, it's it's a it's a cliche story now in many ways, but of uh, George Lucas keeping the the merchandise rights and 
that those those days have gone right. Um, but I just want to say that you know, look, that story has been told a billion times in the game. It's a game of telephone, and that's not exactly the truth. Ah. There's there's many things in there. People say that he kept the rise, and then other people say that you know the studio. Bottom line is the studio didn't want to make the movie for that budget. So there was really and dealing that happened to Bajorski at the budget that he needed to be able to make the film. Now, how he got the rights, everything else, there's a million stories around that. But in the end, what ended up happening from whatever occurred in which he had the merchandising rights and other rights for Star Wars, it is what also then led the studios to create what is now the boilerplate that we all have to deal with because the boilerplate was not in existence, I think, before 1982. So let's more so look at what was the... Yeah, the knock-on effect of whatever occurred that enabled this film to become the behemoth it did prior to selling, um, being acquired by Disney. Yeah, the boilerplate being, this is our way of <laughs> preventing that happening again, making sure that we don't we don't lose out, yeah. Everything comes from, you know, every contract is because something went not well for someone else at some other point in this contract is to make up for it. That's every contract that's that's in existence. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, very, very cool. So tell me more, I suppose, you know, the, how, how the business, uh, how, how you work with creators. So is it, is it a case of you're seeking out, um, well, you said stories, right? Look at stories um, and having stories with breadth and depth. So how does that work? Are you are you constantly sort of, um, you know, receiving material or are you, are you, you know, or you already, maybe you have some people you're already working with and then what does that relationship look like through the, through that process? So, um I'm in a, a a a good position because I have a a pretty good rep in town, and so I get sent a lot of material. Um, it can come in the form of like just talking to a creator who's got an idea, to a script, to a book. It just doesn't matter to me how it comes in. To be quite frank, because again, I'm lucky in terms of what my career has been. Um, as a producer and I'm a physical producer as well as, you know, as well as a creative producer, you know, as I like to call it, I'm a producer. Um, I can look at anything at any stage. So it can be notes, it can be a script, it can be a book. It just doesn't matter to me because I'm used to looking at things from, from rough draft to just a noun and a verb to anything. So comes in in various ways. Um, we've got a we've got a rather robust slate right now um, that runs across different types of genre and from fiction into nonfiction. So, like you know, example on the first projects we just launched with in April is called Founder Hustle, which is an audio podcast, a nonfiction audio podcast that's about finance. And we are building with this creator. Her name is Melissa Bradley. We are building her brand and her the story she tells because everybody has a story. Everything, everybody has a story. So the story she's telling is how can, and she's focused on the new majority, which is defined as people of color and women and, and their financial literacy. That's always been her focus of her, of her own. Uh, she has her own fund. She's on Goldman Sachs board. And so we are telling that story. So we are building out that. And so we were thinking about how best to get that message out. She's been doing a lot of speaking. She's, you know, on every council imaginable, she, small business, everything, innovation and, and uh, entrepreneurship. And so I, we thought, you know, audio 
not behind a paywall was the best way for her to own her message, to ask those questions and to represent people who want to understand financial literacy. That's an example. Um, other types of careers we're working with, we have like a sci-fi project. We've got, I'm working with um, these two gentlemen, Brent and Scott, on a um, twisted take on Alice in Wonderland public domain so they can you know we they have absolutely twisted around the story it's super exciting and we're working um with a really great uh board game or uh hobby game so board game company to create and that's how we're going to first launch with this idea because it's such a rich world board games um and rpgs all of those are you're able to create such rich worlds um with very limited physical visual items and allowing the person playing to have more imagination involved with it. And so that allows a world to be filled out. So again, we're looking at the types of projects we have and thinking what speaks to it the best as its first launch that, that enables the creator to be able to go to other types of, of media platforms. Um, so uh, that's my roundabout way of saying that mm. things come in in all yeah, different yeah. ways. And I've worked with so many people over the years that once I launched Kinetic, there were a couple of creators I went back to saying, you know, that idea we talked about 10 years ago that you didn't know how, what to do with it. Let's try to figure it out. Yeah, cool. So you're, you see, you're figuring out like the strategy, the best way to launch that IP into the world and start building value around it so whether that value is in the community around it i suppose could be or audiences 100 well, yeah. so the company is made up so i'm the co-founder dario Dizani, who is my my co-founder um he comes from the business side he's um but he really believes in creative and the business protecting the creative that's why we made a really great duo he we first met building out muppets um, and then he, he was stayed at Disney reconnected when I went over to Lucasfilm and worked on star Wars. Um, he then went on to AMC networks and helped really, uh, get AMC comics and then AMC games up off the ground. And, um, he really believes in the business. And then we also have a chief audience officer because this company, so there's, there's B2B and there's D2C. So B2B and most of the industry is B2B. You, the scripts you create do not go to the public. It is a scripts are a tool that is only used within the industry. You can think of it almost like the code of a software, you know? So, and then, but that code then becomes other things and, but that's only business to business. So you bring your script to a producer, to a financier, to, you know, a studio streamer, what have you. Um, so, but our company also goes D to C. Creators never go D to C unless you are, you know, influencers do, people who are on, you know, who are selling pots directly on Instagram. They're going direct to consumer. Um, your um, the studios and streamers, they're the they're the layer that actually goes direct to the audience. They are the ones that do the marketing and then sell the and then bring it to a theater and the theater sells the tickets. But they own that data. So that's so they own, so they are going direct to consumer. Um, we talk about going direct to community. I'm trying to change the language from audience and into community because we market to an audience. We sell into a, cons a consumer. We are engaging with the community. And so we are thinking about audience, consumer, community 
at the beginning. And when I say that we are thinking about audience and community at the beginning, it is not to say in the slightest bit that we change our creative to make them happy. We don't do that. What we're talking about is your creative has a point of view. The creator brings a point of view to, you know, I see you've got Spider-Verse behind you. So that's the Spider-Man story, but the creative voice behind it made it Spider-Verse. Miles Morales is somebody's POV into the Spider-Man world. And that's a specific POV, but the themes are what are universal. The want of family, the want to belong, figuring out who you are in the world, what to do with what you have, how can you be a better part of the world? Those are universal themes. Those are all within Spider-Verse, all within many, many uh, different types of story IP. So there are audiences that look for those types of themes and then the specific of the creator's POV is what makes them say, ooh, this is super cool. So we, when I look at something that I want to build out um, and, and, you know, the creator and I are in sync in terms of what we want to build, in terms of what the story is and everything. And we think like, ah, you know what, let's start with a board game. Then the chief audience officer, what she's looking at is, well, who plays board games? What do they gravitate towards? What are they like? And then we just look at that information and we just we just have it in our bag of tricks. And so we think about, well, then what is the social strategy for that audience to know we exist? Again, not to associate opposite ways, not to change what we're doing to get to them. It's for them to know that we're here and we're opening all the doors and windows to this house that we're creating for you to come in. That's all that, that's the way that we view what our strategy is. The strategy is business and audience and community and, 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 and creative. So the creative leads into like the different types of businesses. And then, then the two of those together, it's, you know, well, who's, who's the audience that we want to first inquire into and, and make active and know we have, and then the creative enables that audience to become community because that then the audience engages with what we're doing in that community. And so we are in conversation with our community. And so that's what we're building. That's the best. And all those things together basically create the, again, the hard shell around the soft nugget that we are bringing out into the world. Yeah. Yeah, and presumably it's a great opportunity to get feedback and to yeah to to bring that feedback into the project by engaging with the the audiences like that. It's always great to know what you're doing, where it's resonating with people, where it's hitting with people, and then with the parts of it that don't hit with people that don't resonate. It's then your decision to decide. Is that worth pursuing and not pursuing? I mean, it's just everything becomes your decision. And I think that's more so what we're interested in is how do we put a few more decisions into the hands of the creator so that they can, you know, really own what they're doing top to bottom. Yeah. And and to do these steps whilst they still have 100% control. So it's attacking markets that have less barrier to entry i suppose you know i suppose board games requires partners and and so on but a podcast right you could 
there's no there's no one there's no gatekeeper for that i mean no i mean everything has a type of gate um whether it's the the cost of making the thing which then you cannot dismiss the cost to market the thing so that's the that's so you have a dollar gate then you actually have your platform gates um so most things you can find a way to distribute yourself film and television is hard because it has the biggest gate which is the cost to make the thing and the cost to market the thing. So that's a huge case. That's why studio streamers, cables, networks all exist. Um, but everything else, you know, there is, if there's a will, there's a way, but um, usually the way does come with a financial cost as well. So those are things to, to weigh out. And yeah, and even on the board game and I, um, even with Crimson, it's an it's really an RPG that we're putting together. So think of it more like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons type. Okay, stuff. yeah, Games yeah. Stuff allows really allows for and it doesn't it does a double lift as well because with the type of, of of book you know the book that you create for these rpgs they are gorgeous if you look at any of the, of the ones that are on market right now they are gorgeous with the art with the way that they allow a person to come in and, and imagine what the world is via the words that are put in there but that also creates a type of bible for what your world is and you can elsewhere. And so, yes, I mean, that is again, something you can do yourself. There are a lot of RPGs, a lot of board games that are on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and what have you. So you can do those yourself, but it does come down to fulfillment, distribution, marketing, and those are really real. So sometimes, you know, bringing on the right partner for that is great. You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stolson, in conversation with Ruhal and Paul Rashid, talking about the future of interactive filmmaking. If you're enjoying the show, why not sign up for our monthly email newsletter, which you can do at futureoffilm.live. What are the, in general terms, what are the qualities you're looking for 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 taking on projects or um, creators? Oh, that's a great question. Um, for the story worlds themselves, um, I, I really do, part of the definition that we have at the company is that um, everything's an idea. It's not an IP until it somehow becomes public. It's like kind of like a public type of copyright, which is not a copyright. So I'm using those wrong, but it is a um, a public acknowledgement of the thing. And so we really do determine an IP as you know, you've taken the idea, you've figured out one way in which you want to express it out into the world. It has a budget against it, a marketing budget. You make the thing, it gets out there. Revenue, if everything's going your way, profit comes in on that thing. Now it's an IP. Then our definition of franchises is there are more than one outlet for it um, that's gone out. So that's, again, that's Kinetic's definition. Everybody has their own definition. But I really make the distinction between idea and IP because everybody calls their thing an IP. And I'm like, it's an idea. Everybody's got, everyone has ideas, but do you have IP? Um, so the things that get us going, one, you know, if somebody flinches when I say that, it's going to be really hard to work with them because we're already having an, a difficulty in language. 
Um, and which means that they're going to move too fast and have different and have incorrect expectations that, and when their expectations are not met, that makes for an unruly partnership because we are partners in this. I'm not just, you know, your hired, uh, producer, we are partners in everything that we are doing. So I'm looking for a partner who we have shared language around what we are building. We have shared understanding as to what we want to achieve. I always ask every creator, you know, what do you want? What is it that you really want to do? And for some, like they really just, I just want to make a TV series. Then going this route is not, is, is more likely not the route for them because it's a lot of work. And I think that is like the big thing I'm trying to also determine, are you up for this work? Cause it's a lot of work with not a lot of money coming in. There's perhaps not that instant gratification of saying like, Oh, look, you know, deadline announced that I've got a TV series in the works at you know, at HBO. Um, and if that's important to you, this is not the route to go, which I will still produce with them because again, I'm lucky that I have a, a, a good reputation and a good career as a producer. And so that just goes into like, you know, the bucket, we have three buckets in our company. We do some consulting, we have the IP bucket, then we have the um, producing bucket. And so I'll just be on as a producer. I have a couple of projects like that. I have, you know, something set up at, at Apple, another series set up at HBO because I listened to what the creator really wanted to do. And I don't, and, and the good news is there's, there's no wrong answers here. It's just, it's, it's just, you, you pick what you want to do, what you want to be in the world. And then you deal with the effects of that de decision. That's it. So if, if they are up for the IP side, that is hard work. That is four years. There's not a lot of money coming in, but in the end, if everything goes the way that I have expected to go, you are owning a business that you can decide what you then want to do with it. Do you want to sell into the studios? Do you want to spin it off and just keep going with what you're doing? Um, I always, I always bring up exploding kittens as my, my favorite example. Mm, yeah. that. Um, but people discount everybody just looks at like, Oh my God, it was the biggest Kickstarter and look at how much money they're making. And they're, they, they have all these different games all around exploding kittens, but they're discounting the, I think it was approximately four years that they were in development prior to the Kickstarter. Everybody looks at the thing that, that is public, the thing that, that becomes big, the announcement and deadline, you know, the announcement in Harvard Reporter, but they don't think about the fact that that script was in development for 10 years. Everybody looks at, you know, um, uh, Queen's, Queen's Gambit, the, the Netflix show, which it was like, oh, it was so big. And I'm like, it was 17 years in development, you know, <laughs> but no one wants to talk about that part. And so Exploding Kittens, again, four years of like, what is it? The, what's the art? What is the gameplay? You know, who do we want to talk to? Who, who do we want playing this? What age group? You know, do we have a not safe for work version of it? Do we have, you know, that's four years. And so, um, so I really bring this up to the creators. So like, just realize it's, it's work. And so you can do the other side. And so I am trying to just decide like, and also like how much do they love the thing that they're making and why did they decide to make it? I was, the, the first question I ask is why this, why this story? Because you've decided that you're taking a certain amount of time out of your day, away from friends, family, from doing other things to work on this thing, why? And some people just say, well, you know, like I'm a, a huge horror fan. Like that's um, love of my life is horror. It's my favorite genre. And, you know, so people bring me a lot of horror projects and someone said, well, you know, horror is hot. And I'm like, that's not a reason to do something because that means that you 
don't respect the audience. And the one thing I'll say about horror is like, it's the world's best audience. The world that just the, the people who love horror are just, they just love. And that means you don't respect the audience. You're following a trend and trends come and go. Um, that's kind of part of the problem with the studios that they see something that's hot, like, oh, let's make that knowing that it takes three years to make anything. And by the time they get it done, it's moved on. So that's not a creator I can work with. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the creative, I'm just looking for projects that, again, I keep going back to this. I have to always just be excited about it. And so I'm looking at, you know, how and the depth doesn't have to be there when it first comes in. But if I can immediately see like where it can go, then I know that I can work with that creator and help them get to where it can go um, on their terms. You know, it's just, it's the prodding and the poking and the asking the questions and the whys and what's and how's and everything. So, you know, I think those are like the tenets that we look for. Um, Cause I'm also always, and it's just, it's not only just my decision. Once I know from the creative side where it can go, it can be everything else, you know, then I'm talking to our, to our chief audience officer and I'm talking to Dario and we are looking at it and we're thinking, we're asking ourselves a question, are we actually value add to what this creator wants to do? And if we all three, and then the final, who is our chief, our finance chief, our CFO, Raj, you know, we're all looking at him. We're all looking at this and we're all thinking, this is a go. We are value add and we can help this creator build the business around the story that they want to tell. So mm -hmm. that becomes the way that we look at um, projects that come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, makes a lot of sense. Just an aside on exploding kittens. I'm always I'm slightly surprised by that. It just because every time we ever play it in our family, this just causes massive arguments amongst everyone. Um, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> well, that's just... Arguments. And that's that's kind of like, well, obviously you've got super competitive uh, kids. Yeah, so. I think so. Yeah, it just causes like, no, you, <laughs> you just exploded my kittens. Yeah, you can't, you can't blame. It's like, literally, you can't blame the, don't hate the game. You know, it's like, you can't, you can't. It's actually yeah, your kids. It, it does point to my, to, to my parenting. It's, it's all about my parenting. Um, but no, that all makes sense because you need a, you need a strong why, you know, you, you do, but the creator does It's like, it's a, this is a long road, isn't it? Ahead. And <laughs> there needs to be that fire, um, driving it. Donna, I'd love to just, just, uh, change tack slightly and just ask you about, cause I'm sure you're thinking about this in all the touch points you're talking about community and IP and creators having more, uh, ownership. How are you thinking about like Web3 and NFTs? Is that something you're specifically looking to, you know, to, to, to use or, or tap into? Or is it just, yeah, not, I don't know. Yeah, is, is it part of the plan? Kinetic is heavily involved in Web3. Yeah. Um, we have three projects that um, the creators... Uh, one was crypto curious. The other two were heavily involved in um, uh, in crypto, and um, I myself am. Um, but like we had to do a deep dive. We wanted Connect to have a POV. Even if that POV became not for us, we wanted to be able to um, have you know a defined understanding of it. Because what makes 
me crazy um, is how many people are are hating on Web3 metaverse NFTs without even just looking at it, without even kind of reading some some articles. It's kind of like just again, just I just want people just to have a POV on it. And the way that we look at um, Web3, and I would say specifically in this case, NFTs is, you know, look, all the conversation, especially between 2020 and 2021, the conversation has been led by tech bros, and that's a problem because it's not letting people understand um, um, the usage of and the benefit of NFTs. And so our, again, kinetics definition is that it is a tool that can be used in the tool chest of the creator. And that tool chest, you know, also involves like, you can look at it like almost like tax credits. Like when we decide to make a movie, we're also thinking, all right, first of all, what 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 state has the right visual for the movie? And then it's like, then what's the tax credit? Because that is a tool in your tool chest of a producer of, of a way to make sure you can make your thing. That 30% off in Atlanta helps tremendously on your budget. So NFTs are another are a tool. It is what I really, reason why I definitely did the deep dive on NFTs was when in hearing other creators who were already in the NFT space and why they're using it is because it allows them to retain ownership. And if my company is about how do we have the discussion around ownership? How do we push the idea of like, you know, who gets what rights and for what amount of money? NFTs are right in that discussion. And um, so with an NFT, you're able to, again, if you think of it just as a way in which to, in success, you can raise X amount of first, first Ethereum, then dollars. Um, it, and it is a way that can enable creators. And I was want to also be clear when I'm saying creators, I'm actually meaning the whole creative team. That is the, the, the person that had the idea and the people that work with them on the idea. That is a partnership. They are together. It is a team. So, and we only work again in, in a team aspect. So the team is able to, with the, the currency that is raised, it enables you to not have to sell into a middleman as quickly. Again, in success, if you raise the money via your mint on the NFT, it enables you to not have to go to ex-financier, ex-producer, or ex-studio for development funds. It could provide you those development funds. And if it's a crazy success, it could enable you to be able to produce it outside the system. And then you can just license it into the system, again, allowing you to retain your rights and your ownership. So that's why I love the possibilities of it. I mean, I'm a gamer, so I love the idea of the metaverse. Again, metaverse is another one that has like a billion definitions that have all been done by tech pros. But metaverse to me is just you, it, it is a way that you can enable the fan, the community, the audience to stay in a world and allow them to traverse that story world that you've put together. And a metaverse can be anything from Walmart, which just allows you to stay in one place, be able to shop, you know, to um, I mean, open world games are a type of metaverse, but you're doing one thing, you are playing that game. But what if you could also shop and read books and do other things? And so again, that is my definition of metaverse. So I could be able to talk to creators when we are looking at it. 
um, everybody else has their own definition. If you're talking to, for example, an A16Z or any other venture capital firms, they'll talk about metaverses in a whole different way because it, they're, you're, they're using the definition to work for their business. So I think everyone has to come up with their definition that works for their business and then to move forth, but making sure that your definition is nimble enough so that then when you run to somebody else's definition, they <laughs> clues together like a MacGyver, <laughs> clues together and you can move forward. So I really, I like the possibilities that an NFT enables. And also it, 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 it enables you to, again, begin your conversations with a community because people are buying that NFT. They are a part of your community. And there are two, you know, people who, who, who buy NFTs some are buying them because they really want to support that artist. They want that artist to have money to be able to continue to grow. Some are buying it because it is a it is an investment. It, it, it's not quite an investment tool because if I say that, then that's an SEC thing and that becomes a whole other tax thing. So I'm not saying that. But it does have a valuation. And it does have a valuation that can grow. And some people do buy an NFT on the possibility that the valuation will increase, which then enables them to sell it to get more money. Be that as, as it may, that money still goes to the creator to be able to, again, stay in a, in a nice bubble for a bit before they have to sell into someone yeah. else. And, and even if they, uh, when the, uh, the speculator uh, resells it, it can also benefit the creator as well because you can build in um, – uh, those those kind of resale yeah, rights, and, and which, is, which is amazing. Concept, yes, you put in the royalties. royalties you know, yeah. Um, yeah, the royalties that go. So, you know, and, and again, Web3 definitions, you know, decentralization, transparency, blah, 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 blockchain. And so an NFT is built on. So whereas this film and TV studios live and die by the copyright, that is its form. Web3, Metaverse, NFTs are built on the smart contract, which is transparency, and the blockchain, which is transparency. You see everything that occurs. And so in building your NFT leading up to the mint, and it is built on the smart contract, you can put in their royalties, which means that every time that someone sells that NFT, you as a creator and creative team get a portion of it, and that's the royalty. Hmm. Which is which is transformative, uh, Diana. We're we're coming to the end of our time. Oh this has been a, a, amazing as as always. Lastly, bef before you go, can you just share, please? Uh, yeah, just your your I suppose advice to storytellers, creators who are thinking about. Oh, maybe uh, maybe I've got something. You know, maybe it's more than just a a, a film or a or a TV show, maybe, maybe I've got a franchise here. What would you, how would you, how would you advise them? I would advise a person to first think about what they wanted to do, you know, and if they just really want to make the movie, just write the script and find someone who shares in your vision and, and has the chutzpah to get it out there and figure out how to get it made, film or television. If there is a consideration that you think you have, you know, the next whatever, name your IP, um, that is a franchise, then it's how solid is it? And I think the first step, again, if you're the creator in terms of the person came up with the idea and is writing it, um, 
the uh, just a story. So whether the story is a short story or a script doesn't quite express out how how deep and wide your story world is. And that goes to what are the other potential people, places, things, and events that round out your world? Um, I hate to always lean into Star Wars while I talk about Star Wars. Sure, it started with, you know, Luke on this planet tattooing, but via dialogue and via the opening, you know, you meet Darth Vader and but Darth Vader's got a whole bunch of stuff, but you find out more from in when he's in dialogue with the emperor. And then you find out more about Leia via different conversations she's having with 3PO. Um, so that every time somebody says something, it builds out the world. And so can you do that at the beginning before you start to bring it out? Then the scary part is the next, the scary slash challenging part is now what? Now you've done this world building, now what? It's you're trolling around, you're looking for who are those partners to come in with you to start the build out. And whether that build out is you think you wanna do a podcast or do you wanna just write, you know, take some of the backstories you've put together and can they extend out into maybe a short novella? Can you publish that yourself and put that up on Kindle? Then there's something out in the world that somebody else can buy via self-publishing, can buy, and you're starting to put your creative out in the world. Do you want, or do you have something where you're like, oh, you know what, let's do a comic book. I know an artist, we can get this done. So do you bring that to Kickstarter? Do you bring that to Indiegogo? Do you set up your own Patreon? You're just, you're trying to figure out what those levers are to to pull and with every lever that you pull you just start to build out um what is that you start to build not build out you start to build and it's, it's like i said it's a lot of work i mean i just said a lot of words and there was a lot of work behind all those words i said This episode was recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2022, was made possible by our founding partners, Autodesk, NVIDIA, Dell Technologies, Garden Studios, and Epic Games and Unreal Engine. You can find out more about Future of Film Incubator and all of our other activities at the home of Future of Film, futureoffilm.live. So that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast very soon. Mm-hmm.